All right, so going into this episode on Charles Manson, here's some uh, pre-information about him. Uh, a quick just Google search, you'll be able to find this information rather quickly. So Charles Manson was born Charles Mills Manson, November 12th, 1934. He died on November 19th, 2017. Was an American criminal reported cult leader and musician. In the mid-1967s, he created a hippie commune known as the Manson Family in California. Members of the commune committed a series of murders at four separate locations in July and August 1969. He was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven people. Certain members stated that they carried out the murders on his orders. We're going to examine that a little bit later. Manson was convicted of first-degree murder for two other deaths. So some quick information. As before, he was born November 12th, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio. He died November 19th, 2017 at age 83 in Bakersfield, California. Um, died underneath cardiac arrest, respiratory failure, and colon cancer. His spouses was Rolis Willis. Eliana Stevens. He had two alleged children. His parents was Colonel W.H. Scott Sr., Kathleen Maddox, which was his mother, and his stepfather, William Manson, who he took the name from. So, let's start with a little bit of some basic information. Charles Manson was born on November 12, 1934, to 16-year-old Kathleen Manson, Bauer Kavadirk Maddox, 1918 through 1973 is when she died. He was born at the University of Cincinnati Academic Health Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was first named No Name Maddox. Within weeks, he was named Charles Mills Maddox. That'd be horrible when you really think about it, to be named No Name. Okay, anyways. Manson's biological father appears to be Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. He was born 1910 and died in 1954, against whom Kathleen Maddox filed a paternity suit that resulted in an agreed judgment in 1937. Manson never knew his biological father. Um, his father worked in local mills and was a carn artist himself. He allowed... Uh, Maddox to believe he was an army colonel. However, colonel was merely a given name from the community uh, to him. When Maddox told Scott she was pregnant, he said he had been called away on army business, even though, like he has stated before, he was never actually in the military. At this time, as time went by, she realized he was never going to return. August of 1934, right before Manson's birth, Maddox married William Eugene Manson, who was born 1909 and died in 1961. He was a laborer at a dry cleaning business. Maddox went on drinking sprees for days, leaving Charlie with all kinds of different babysitters. Maddox divorced on August 30th, 1937, when the, uh, when the, Hold on one second. Uh, when the courthouse found in favor of Manson's plea of gross neglect of duty. 
On August 1st, 1939, Maddox and Julia Vickers spent the evening drinking with Frank Martin. Maddox realized Frank appeared to be very wealthy. Maddox and Julia decided to rob him. Maddox called her brother to come help, who is also one of Charlie's babysitters. We're going to get into that a little bit later as well. Um... But anyways, they were arrested within hours of committing a crime. Luther was sentenced to 10 years. Kathleen was sentenced to five years in prison. Charlie was placed into custody to his aunt and uncle in McMechan, West Virginia. Sorry if that is uh, said wrong. His mother was paroled in, in, in 1942. Manson's family moved to Charleston, West Virginia, where Manson was... Truant and his mother spent evenings drinking. She was eventually arrested for grand larceny, however, not convicted. After moving to Indianapolis, Maddox uh, started attending AA meetings. She eventually met a man named Lewis. She married him in August of 1943. Charlie eventually started stealing from streets and his home as well. Maddox sent Charlie to uh, Gilbert School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana, ran by the Catholic Church. Manson soon ran away, and he went to go stay with his mother. So you got to remember before, when his mother was locked up and he was living with his aunt and uncle whenever she got out. Manson repeatedly said that that was the best time in his life was with his mother during that time period. So we're going to go right back to where we was. So at this point, Manson had ran away from the boys home. All right. However, his mother returned him to school very shortly. Charlie spent Christmas 1947 and McMechan. At his aunt and uncle's house, he was arrested for stealing a gun. Manson returned to Gilbert. He ran away to Indianapolis 10 months later. He did not go to his mother's this time. He rented a room, affording it by burgling local stores at night. He got caught. He was sent to Boys Town, a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. He, was, he only stayed there, however, for four days. Himself and Blake Nilsson stole a car, managed to get a gun. They robbed a grocery store and a casino on the way to the house of Nilsson's uncle in Para, Illinois. Nilsson's uncle was a professional thief. By the way, when the boys arrived, he taught them how to be a professional thief. Eventually, Manson was arrested two weeks later. During a nighttime raid on a uh, <clears throat> on a PRS store, he was linked to the different robberies in the community. Sent to Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. He later claimed that the staff allowed inmates to rape him. He escaped with two other boys in February 1951. They were attempting to flee to California and stolen cars. When arrested in Utah... They had robbed several gas stations along the way. Driving a stolen across, uh, driving a car that was stolen across different state lines is a felony because of the Dyer Act. Um, upon, on arrival, he was given an aptitude test. He was found 
to be illiterate, and his IQ was 109, even though the national average was 100. This is clear signs of how intellectual and intelligent Charles Manson actually was. Again, I repeat, the national average was 100, and his, when his attitude test was given, was 109. His caseworker stated he was aggressively antisocial. A, um, upon a psychiatric recommendation, he was uh, he was transferred in October 1951 to the National Bridge Honor Camp. It was a minimum security institution for juvenile offenders. Manser was scheduled for parole for a parole hearing February in 1952. However, in January, he was caught raping a boy at knife point. He was transferred to a federal, um, a federal, a federal program in Pittsburgh, Virginia. He later committed eight other serious disciplinary offensive offenses, three invo- involving homosexual acts. Nineteen fifty four, he was released from a reformatory school in Chilston, Ohio. <clears throat> He was released early for good behavior, however. In January of 1955, Manson married a hospital waitress named Rosalie Jean Willis. A, around October, around three months after arriving in Los Angeles in a stolen car he had prior stolen in Ohio, he was charged once again with driving a vehicle across state lines. He was given five years probation. He was charged for failure to appear his probation being revoked as a result. While Charlie was in prison, Rosalie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. Manson received five years parole in September 1958. The same year, Rosalie divorced him. By November, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional help from a girl who had wealthy parents. On around September of 1959, he was caught attempting to cash a treasury check he claimed he had stolen from a mailbox earlier. A woman named Leona, who had a record for prostitution, made a deal. She would marry Charlie if he was, if he was released. Before the year's end, she did marry Manson, possibly so she would not have to testify against him. Manson took Leona and another girl to New Mexico for the purpose of prostitution, resulting in him being held in question for violating the Martin Act. Again, that's driving a stolen car across, um, you know, state lines, I believe, is the same one. Hold on one second. I'm just checking something out. When one of the women was arrested for prostitution, Manson was arrested in June in Lerado, Texas. He was returned to Los Angeles. He was ordered in L.A. to serve his 10-year sentence. In July of 1961, he was transferred from California County Jail to United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington. He learned to play guitar from Alvin Creepy Carpus, Phil Kaufman and gave him a contact name from someone at Universal Studios in Hollywood. In 1963, Leona was granted a divorce. She allegedly claimed to have a son 
Charles Luther. This would be his second son. So, <clears throat> once discharged from, pres- uh, from prison, Manson began attracting a group of followers, mostly young women from around California. Hold up a second. Let me backtrack. So before he was released from prison, um, there is a statement that he had made to the parole board where he said, please do not release me. I will not be able to make it on the outside. They basically spurred due to prison overcrowding at the time and released him anyways. So we're going to move on now. So again, he attracted mostly young women from around different areas of California. Now, as a result of these young girls being around Manson, they were dubbed the Manson family. This group was involved in the murder of Gary Hillman in July of 1965, as well as the murder of Sharon Tate, as well as four other ones in her home, August 8th and 9th of 1969, and Leno, Leno and Rosemary Labanca the next day. Tex Watson and three other members did the murders on Manson's direct orders. Now, family members were also reportedly involved in other assaults, thefts, crimes as well. Lynette Squeaky, uh, for Rome, sorry about the last name, also attempted to assassinate then-current U.S. President Gerald Ford in Sacramento, California. On March 6th of 1970, the day the court uh, vacated Manson's status as his own attorney, uh, Lie, L-I-E, an album of Manson's music was released. In a couple of months, only about 300 of the 2,000 copies were actually sold. Manson sent, was sent to the state prison on April 22, 1971 for the seven counts of first-degree murder and on account of conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of Abigail and Folger, Watchshong, uh, Frykowski, Stephen, uh, Stephen Earl Parent, Sharon Tate Polanski, Jay C- uh, Sebring, and Lino, and Rosemary Labanca. His original death sentence was murdered to life on February 2nd, 1977. Now, on December 13th of 1971, Manson was convicted of first-degree murder in L.A. County Court for the July 25th, 1969, death of Gary Hemman. He was found guilty of the death of Donald Jerome Shorty Shia. The California versus Anderson 1972 Act stated an inmate may file a hasback corpus in the Superior Court. This made Manson eligible to apply for parole after seven years of incarceration. Manson's first parole hearing took place November 16th 1978, at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California. It was rejected, however. In in the 1980s, Manson gave four interviews to mainstream media. The first one was 1981, Tom Snyder, NBC on The Tomorrow Show. March 7th, 1980, Charlie Rose, CBS News Nightwatch. Gerardo Rivera, 1988. Nicholas Schreck conducted an interview for his documentary, Charles Manson's Superstar, 1989. He concluded that Manson was not insane, but merely acting that way out of frustration. On September 25th, 1984, 
John Jan Holstrom poured paint thinner on him, on Charles Manson, and sent him on fire, causing second-degree burns over 20% of his whole body. After 1989, Manson was housed in protective housing unit at California State Prison in Corcoran, in Kings County. He had also been housed at San Quentin State Prison, California Medical Facility, Folsom State Prison, and Pelican Bay State Prison. On June 1997, a prison disciplinary committee found that Manson had been trafficking drugs. That August, he was moved from Corcoran to Pelican Bay State Prison. In 2010, the Los Angeles Times reported that Manson was caught with a cell phone in 2009. He had contacted people in California, New Jersey, Florida, and British Columbia. On January 1st of 2017, Manson was suffering from gastric bleeding at California State Prison in Corcoran. He was rushed to Mercy Hospital in downtown Bakersfield, California. He was returned to prison once doctors decided that Manson was too weak for surgery. June 6, 2017, November 15, 2017, Manson was returned to the hosp- uh, hospital in Bakersfield. He, was, he died later from cardiac, uh, cardiac arrest resulting from respiratory failure and colon cancer. At the hospital four days later on November 19th, three people embarked on a bitter dispute over the Manson estate. Jason Freeman, who is the rumored to be grandson, however, was not confirmed and still is not confirmed. Michael Channels, who was a pen pal of Manson, states, uh, says he has a will dated February 14th of 2002. Sorry. Ben Goricki. Will was dated January 2017 for him. Matthew Roberts, who's his alleged son. So, in 1974, Manson stated his religion was Scientology. Manson completed 150 hours of auditing before he declared Scientology was too crazy for him. So, let's look into the shamanism aspect, all right? In April of 11, 2012, Manson was denied release at his 12th parole hearing. He was not present for it. You got to understand, after March 27th, March 27th, 1997, parole hearing, Manson refused to go to any of his hearings after that date, and he did not. The panel at the hearing noted Manson had controlling behavior and mental health issues, including schizophrenia and paranoid delusional disorder, always finding him too great of a danger to be re-released to society. The panel also noted Manson had received 108 rules of violation reports, no remorse, no insight into Kasota factors of the crimes. He lacked understanding of the magnitude of the crimes, had an exceptional callous disregard for human suffering, and had no parole plans whatsoever. Parole hearing stated April 11, 2012, they determined Manson would not be reconsidered until 2027. He would have been 92 years old at the time of his release. So we're going to look at some conspiracy theories, and some of these can be found at HowStuffWorks.com. The first one, one theory was that Charlie and the family 
were actually responsible for more murders than they were charged with, although no evidence had been presented for this case. The second one was that Manson is a product of the CIA project MKUltra. They use acid and hypnosis as an attempt to create a more effective torture procedures. The government brainwashed him to turn him into a cult leader primed to violently end the hippie anti-war movement. Charles Tex Watson <clears throat> wrote that something seemed off with the uh, drugs that they took. It turns out it was a special blend called, called Orange Sunshine, leading to people believing this, is, this theory more and more. Another theory is Manson has been linked to Scientology. Paul Crockett, Manson's nearest neighbor, recognized Manson's influence for what it was. Once said, Manson had a hole in, in, in his humanity. Crockett is said to be involved with the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, also called the Hippie Mafia. Another theory is the murders were part of Helter Skelter said that Charlie ordered the family to kill to start a race war where at the end whites would ultimately win. Another theory is it was a revenge killing over a music dispute. Now, the sixth one, and this is the most plausible one to me. And again, I want to give a huge shout out to Nicholas Shrek and Stoner Van Houten, uh, Bruce Fox on Facebook, Stoner Van Houten Show. Um, the Spawn Ranch worker as well. This is the drug debate right here, okay? So, police initially believed the murders at Cilio Drive were the result of a drug transaction that had gone terribly wrong. One officer was quoted as saying in the press, the narcotics aspect were under investigation. Suggestions were made that the killings were linked to similar Labaca murders the following night. Despite both crime scenes featuring inflammatory messages written in the victim's blood on the walls were ultimately dismissed. The narcotics angle seems logical considering the huge spike in violent crime that accompanied the drug use of the 60s counterculture. Everyone, uh, even celebrities, were using drugs in the 60s and 70s. Weeks prior to the murders, Gary Hinman was murdered in a dispute over a drug deal. He was a music teacher. Involved in that crime was a group that would soon be called the Manson family. Hammond was held hostage for three days by a Manson member and budding magician Bobby Belasi for unpaid drug debts, during which Manson dropped by and cut part of Hammond's ear with a uh, pair of cutlass. Susan Atkins eventually stabbed him into death and wrote political piggy on the walls in his blood. Police did not make the connection to the Cilio Drive murder scene, however. Due to the strange times in Hollywood, drug use and violence was were the normal. Cults, biker gangs, monsters, and even satanic groups were connected uh, to the press for the murders. Once members were arrested and Charlie was linked to the murders, it is interesting how the L.A. District Attorney's Office was keen to overlook the amount of, Ill of illegal drugs that were found in the house. And there had been no discernible um, evidence of robbery. Even missing, like the drugs were still there, things weren't missing. So left a question, why had Manson ordered the brutal murders of the seven people?
it was said by Vincent Belusky, the case centered on his connection or contention that he was a homicidal racist who ordered his followers to commit mass murders in order to start an uh, an end of the world type of race war in the USA. He stated all victims were just victims of circumstance to kill simply for Charlie. His plan was called Helter Skelter. Let's keep in mind that even some of Bolesky's colleagues, like fellow prosecutor Aaron Stofics, were skeptical about the bizarre theory. Could the far less sensational explanation be that they were simply violent drug murders of the type that had become commonplace in the area at the time? Was Manson a convenient scapegoat? Charlie was given the IQ test back in the day, remember earlier, and found to be above IQ and found to have a higher IQ as a result and had enough legal procedure knowledge to be deemed to represent him his own self. So how is it that Belusky said Manson was irrational and insane? Remember, Charles Tex Watson was never part of the inner inside circle of the Manson family. And actually, he has spent very little time at Spawn Ranch, preferring to hang out in L.A. and develop his drug dealing career. He was charming and charismatic. Watson was a violent uh, psychopath and did not let anybody push him around, least of all Charles Manson. He also had formed... Uh, he also had form having ripped off black a black drug dealer Bernard um, a few months earlier. He also tied up and robbed mafia connected drug dealer Joel Razuru and his girlfriend the previous month. Texas behavior suggests he was following his own criminal path rather than Manson controlling him. He most likely regarded the wily old con man more as a useful homeboy rather than a martyr. Another thing to consider is Watson and the other family members wanted to blame it all on Manson. It's simple to save their own skin. Manson's behavior in the courtroom did not help, however. However, this is a fact. It is just a showman's act. Manson was perfectly aware he was being railroaded by the ambitious prosecutor. Manson stated, I was convicted of witchcraft in the 20th century, and my own case made the prosecutor Vincent Belosky filthy rich behind his book and the movie that followed. Nicholas Shrek said that the Cielo Drive murders were a drug burn. Texas... Tex Watson's thuggerish attempt to muscle in on big drug deals occurring at the property that turned into the brutal murder spree. Because underneath the glitter of the Tinseltown lay an open secret since its early days. The fantasies of Hollywood have been built on the seedy foundation of illegal drugs and mob money. The murders was the result of a brutal turf war between Tex Watson and already established suppliers Wojcik uh, Frakowski and Jay uh, Sebring over the lucrative Hollywood drug scene. Keep in mind, Sebring and Kurensky have been known to be suppliers of narcotics to actors and musicians in Hollywood. Some notable stars would be Mama Cass, Stephen McQueen, as well as Polanski and Sharon Tate, 
whose house was being uh, looked at as a base for drug dealing. The FBI was investigating the property for drug dealing the whole time. Also, a variety of different drugs were found in J.C. Springs' black Porsche parked near the house. Even mafia drug dealer Joel Rostu stated he had visited the property on the night of the murder. He was there to deal drugs to Sebring and for uh, Frakowski. He stated he had delivered cocaine and mescaline to the house. The report also states that Sebring has stated he had been burnt on $2,000 worth of bad cocaine. McCaffrey also states she felt Sebring would do almost anything to get back at the person who had burnt him. Susan Atkins stated that Linda to Linda uh, being sorry about the name punctuations, uh, told me to uh, set a knife and a change of clothes. She stated these people in Beverly Hills burned her for $1,000 worth of a new drug called NDA. Also, Joe Durgan, the man who found Leno and Rosemary's bodies, were the boyfriend of Rosemary's daughter. He also was a member of the Straight Satan's biker gang that frequented the Spawn Ranch, who had many dealings with Manson and Tex Watson directly. The Satans were the reason Manson follower Bobby Belosi ended up killing Gary Hammond as a batch of bad drugs attained by him and made several members of the Satans sick. The night of the murder, it is said Charlie stated he did not want to go to jail, so he did not want to go. He did, however, say if you do something, do it well and leave something witchy. When they found Charlie, he was hiding in a sink. Also, keep in mind that Fry Kososki had way more extreme brutal wounds and injuries than anyone else. This would lean towards more he was the target of a drug deal. So, when we are, we are actually running out of time, I decided to do a full episode inside of instead of a two-part. Um, so you can understand why, that was research material, by the way, you can understand why I feel like the drug aspect is actually a very logical aspect to conclude when you're looking at the case. So you got to understand that these people, Sharon Tate and everybody else, was part of the Hollywood drug scene at the time, uh, Pulaski as well. And the actual target, as stated right there at the end, that Tex Watson had, that those individuals had more wounds and more aggressive stabbings and just different wounds than anybody else in the whole house. To me, studying different types of crime, that's, that shows evidence of that being a target the whole time. The other victims were victims of circumstance that was just there. You see, and that's the whole other thing that I found out when I was looking into uh, doing this episode. Um, Tex Watson actually did not spend that much time at the ranch. He was there and he was part of, he would hang out with Charles and he would hang out with the girls and, uh, you know, and all of them. However, he was a drug contact and one aspect, like they stated in a research material, you have the aspect that was um, he might have just been using Charlie as kind of like just the 
older hippie kind of guy, you know, and he was just a convenient stepping stone for text to use to attain whatever. But on one other hand, was Charlie actually using him as well? You got to remember, Charlie's been part of this game since way back in the you know, day. So to me, it even says maybe Charlie was using him for his dress contact as well. So maybe they were using each other, so to speak. You know, um, I will say that there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening this uh, upcoming summer. You're going to start seeing, uh, just like Stoner was saying in one of his shows, um, you're going to start seeing a rebirth of the whole Manson hysteria. Uh, the Helter Skelter, they're going to be pushing it for everything that they can in every single which way. I also feel like it's not going to die out. Some people say that it's going to die out after that. I don't think so. In fact, I think that the youth, the millennial generation and the ones underneath them, they're going to run towards it. They're going to want to know everything they can about it. I actually see that as a very logical thing. So I think the best course of action is to educate people in the proper way. That's why I went over all the different types of conspiracy theories over the murder case. And one I do want to reamp and one I do want to get back to is they say that during Charles Manson's stay at one of his uh, prison stays that he was doing, he was given acid, which was the orange dream blend that they were going over by the federal government, as um, he was willing to participate in an experiment that the government was doing, is the way the story goes. In that whenever he was paroled, that it was actually CIA operative to end the hippie counterculture um, and the different segregation protests that was going on. So basically the whole counterculture, they're trying to say that Charlie was actually working for gov the government at the whole time for that, which I really don't buy because at the end of it, he was still in prison the whole time. So like, why would he do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't, I just don't buy that. Um, I do buy the drug connection very much so. And a lot of that reason is actually because just like other people that have stated um, about the Vanson murders, you know, myself, um, I spent time off and on in different mental institutions um, as well as I went through homelessness. And when I was doing the homelessness, I was actually both dealing and using meth at the time. <clears throat> and uh, cocaine and other type of drugs. So I'm familiar with the drug scene and I know how that works. Um, so I think it's a very logical conclusion that one can bring up. Being the fact that those victims had more injuries to them, that they were the initial target and that the rest of the victims were just victims of circumstance. They were just there. Um, and I also feel like Charles Manson was used by the state of California. In a way, yes, he was used to enter counterculture. Uh, whenever he was being tried for these murders, that really started the uh, process of the satanic panic that took place in the 80s. See, a lot of people say it started in the 80s. I actually believe it started with the Manson murders. It started with, because that was when everybody started saying, how could these people be so evil? And how could be they how could they be so wrong? You know what I mean? Like everybody was saying this stuff. Like you just had this major focus on witchcraft and you had the major focus on anti-Christians. 
um, different counterculture groups, such as shamanism, uh, witchcraft, New Age philosophy. Um, this kickstarted the um, the whole thing. It also started an abrupt end to the hippie uh, lifestyle. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, it's still out there, but it, it really helped end all those culture movements. So in a way, I do feel like he was a scapegoat for that. And a lot of that, I think, also has to do with the fact that he did tell the California Parole Board back in the day, do not release me. I can't make it on the outside. And they did anyways. It's kind of like, well, we're going to slap you with everything that we can. See, Charles Manson, he didn't kill anybody. Well, he did kill two people. Um, But as far as the murders go at Cielo Drive, he didn't physically kill anybody. And I don't buy the Helter Skelter theory whatsoever. Um, especially after spending the past couple months uh, talking to different people that are familiar with the case. And then I started looking at different angles myself. You know, that's one thing um, I got to say about Stoner that uh, I like is he's like, hey, you know, this is one opinion I might have, but find out for yourself and do some research. And that's what I did. And there's so many holes in this case uh, back in the day. And I do feel like a lot of people that were part of the murders, um, I do feel like they used Charlie as a scapegoat saying, hey, he told us to do it. He kept us high on acid and brainwashed us into doing it. And uh, I feel like they did that as a way to lessen their sins. You know what I mean? And I don't think a lot of people focus on that aspect as well. A lot of people don't focus on the sheer fact of just the criminality of the case. See, Charles was a pimp slash drug dealer and car thief. You know what I mean? Um, But his bread and butter was car thievery and prostitution, and he learned that from his mother. So I feel like he wouldn't have resorted to that. I I think Tex, or uh, I, I really do. I think that Tex Watson, Charles Tex Watson, I think is the one that originated um, that whole plan. And I think he did it to take over that drug scene. Uh, being the fact, and this is something else I want to bring up is they say the FBI was surveillance. The Sharon Tate house was a base operation of drug sales. Where the hell was the FBI that night of the murder? If they had been watching a property this whole time, where did they go to? They just like all of them just pack up and go grab a pizza real quick and a couple beers and then go back to the property after the murders happen. Uh, doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not how that thing normally plays out. Now, I do want to revert back because I'm running out of time. I wanted this podcast to be a little bit longer, possibly two part because of this, because there's so much about Charles Manson as far as an individual goes that a lot of people don't understand. Um, one thing I do want to go back to is a time period that he was born into. Um, during this time period, there wasn't mental, there wasn't that much mental uh, psychiatric research going on as far as disabilities go. I believe that if Charles Manson was alive, uh, coming up in a world in the later 70s, 80s, and 90s, I believe that he would have been treated for different mental disabilities. Um, and I believe that with that treatment, he would have done incredible things, um, mainly with music, writing, and who knows what else. I mean, he was actually a very artistic person. Um, and I do want to say that he was institutionalized by the young age. Uh, Charles Manson, 
all he knew was gel. Gel and reformatory schools, that was home to him. So when he was out on the outside, that was uncomfortable to him because that wasn't that wasn't his role. That's you know, that's that wasn't his role. That's not how he rolled, you know. Um his mother was a career criminal, and even his birth father was a career criminal. His uncle was a career criminal. Everybody Charles Manson was around was a criminal whenever he was coming up, other than his aunt and uncle, from what I could gather. So it's not a strong leap to understand that, not to give him a scapegoat, because everybody knows right from wrong. However, that is what he knew. Um, and one has to understand that when you're looking at the individual. So often they go back to that case and go, well, forget everything else. He's just pure evil. But he wasn't. And until you start understanding the case from all the different aspects of it, I don't think that you can form your own real educated opinion because the populist's consent is the helter-skelter theory. And that's it. Nobody wants to hear the other theories. But the, the theory with the government... And the theory with the um, the theory with the government and the theory with the drug deal, I think, should be looked at very closely. Um, I think both of those are actually tied in together. By the way, I have my own theory, and my own theory is that he did sign a waiver in prison, stating that he would be part of an experiment to drop acid. I don't know about the government using him as a ploy to end the counterculture movement per se, I will say I find it funny that according to actual court records, that it states that the property at Cielo Drive was being watched by the FBI for months for being a base of cocaine sales and other type of NDA and other party drugs. And that Susan Atkins, or uh, Susan herself, uh, was, not Susan Atkins, sorry, I apologize, um, Sharon Tate herself, Polanski, and other people were being watched by the FBI. So when you have these brutal murders happen, just some group of poor random hippies that were living off of trash at the time and whatever scraps they can get, they managed to elude the FBI who was watching the property, commit these murders, violent, loud murders. And the FBI was watching the property, but yet they weren't there to stop it. And Tex, Charles Tex Watson, you know, he was already mad. He wanted to take over the drug sales. He actually viciously attacked the two actual targets. And everybody else is just, you know, victims of circumstance or whatever. Um, I think you really got to look at all of that. But I also want you to look at Charles Vanson's early life as well and understand that he was relatively a genius, and you could tell that by the IQ test that he took. He was by no means um, stupid at all. And I don't even care which way you look at it. Even if you look at the helter-skelter theory, if that's the bandwagon that you choose to cruise on, um, there's enough court documentaries out there where they state he is clearly a genius and clearly not as um, insane as what he acts for cameras. you got to understand that there was a time period where Charles actually did take interviews quite seriously. And when he realized how the interviewers were talking to him and treating him like he was just insane and crazy, um, he decided that he was going to start acting that way. 
Like, what was the point of being serious if they weren't going to take him serious? He knew he was never going to get out. So he just played the role that they wanted them to do. You got to understand something else, too. As far as the estate goes, I do want to say Jason Freeman Manson, Freebird, whatever the hell you're going by now. What's the what's the holdup? The whole world wants to know the truth. Now, I will say to you that you claim that you're a preacher and you claim that you're doing God's will and you claim that you're trying to change the Manson name to something positive. You claim all this. And yet, you won't man up and say, let me prove it that I'm not lying. And let me just take the DNA test to show I'm not lying. That way, your God that you preach about and your message that you preach about will have more uh, more clarity and more validation by you doing that DNA test. I know it, you know it, anybody that's familiar with the case, the you know, current status of the people involved with the case, they know it, Freeman. We all know it, and we all know that you won't do the DNA test because we both know <laughs> why you won't do it. It's a, it's a cop-out. You know it's going to come back negative. I just want to throw that out there. Now, as far as everything else goes... I do feel like the uh, pen pal should have had more say, Freeman, with what happened because of the amount of closeness that he was to Charlie. And I believe that his children, his son, should have more say with it, no matter. The fact is that they don't really want anything to do with it, but still yet. um, I do want to go back to that. I just can't. You know, like, I understand that you were a USC fighter, right? And I would think that fighters would have more of an honor system. You know what I mean? Like, people are calling you out and making a mockery of you. And all you got to do is do a little DNA test to prove them, and they'll shut them all up. But you can't do that, can you? (laughs) I'm going to shut up, but I'm just saying, do the DNA test, man. You know, and as far as everything else goes, I apologize that this podcast is mainly research material. I'm probably going to do one later on Charles from a personal spinoff. Um, I did touch up quickly on different aspects that I that I hope that you'll you will look into um, from the different from all six different conspiracy theories about the Cielo Drive murders um, from Charles Manson's early life. From both his father figures to his aunt and uncle, from the aspect that he was institutionalized from a young age, um, <clears throat> his crime specialties that I that even from a youth, which was auto theft and prostitution and drug dealing, uh, house burglaries and robberies, all of that, um, those are clear signs. I mean, that was what he did, and yet those weren't brought up at the Seal of Drive murders. They found a ton of drugs, money. Jewelry, all kinds of stuff, but yet nothing was taken. But yet, Charles Manson himself, the girls that were involved, they were all known thieves and drug users and drug dealers. 
None of that was taken. Hello. That seems like to be a big red flag, don't it? I don't I don't think that it would take too much to understand that that would be a clear flag. Hey, maybe we should look into this a little bit more. You know? Um, so I hope that you take from this different aspects. 